and all the love I can from Crossroads, uh, your sister church around the other side of the valley, and uh, we love you all and grateful for what God is doing here. And uh, any way that we can ever bring encouragement and strength to you, uh, I come. I'm not alone. I brought two of my daughters, Macy and Jesse, with me. I've got two dear friends, Ian and a brother named Dave, here as well. So if you run into someone you don't recognize and they say they're with me, that's how they uh, they got here. So. All that to say, let's get into the word and see what God has to teach us today. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to read in your hearing verse 17 down through verse 21. It says this, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ And gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We live in a state that's just crazy about recycling, isn't it? I mean, you get a can of soda and right there on the can, it says made with 80% recycled ingredients. I don't know if that's inside or outside the can, but nonetheless. We recycle tires, electronics, cardboard, toys, household goods, paper towels. I mean, you get a napkin, it says made with recycled components, and I don't even want to think what that used to be. (laughs) It's just everywhere. I mean, it's complicated. You go to a restaurant, and you go to throw things away, and you have a crisis. Is it recycled? Is it compost? Is it general waste? I don't know what to do. There's a camera watching, and people staring, and I just don't know. I mean, it's complicated. People judging you. And then you get home, it's not much better. I've got a blue barrel, I got a green barrel, and I got a gray barrel. And if they go through with the compost law, I don't even know what the fourth barrel is going to be or where it will go. I mean, our fridge is filled with yesterday's leftovers. I mean, this thing is just all over the place. We're constantly reusing things. Old clothes get cut up, become patches for new clothes. And I'm not totally down on it. I mean, even my name is recycled. I'm Jim Stitzinger III. <laughs> My daughters are grateful that I didn't recycle my name for one of them. We love reusing things, don't we? There's a certain pride you take when you find something and retrofit it for another purpose, and there can be some good in that. But aren't you glad that God doesn't just recycle us? He doesn't just repurpose us. He transforms us and changes us entirely. That when you come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, when you submit your life to him, You're made new. And we get to see that a little bit this morning in this passage and beyond. And so let's look at this. In verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. A new creature. Being in Christ. Perhaps there's no greater words in the Bible to say what we are. A new reality. A new life. It's the greatest news. And Paul's here talking to everyone who is saved. And says at the very second of salvation, at that exact moment, we are ripped away from an eternity in hell and we are established with an eternity in heaven. We're broken free from the mastery and the control and the prevailing power of sin 
that permeates our life and we are set free from its his demands we're released from the guilt that crushes us that devastates us that's always haunting us and in an instant we're given a freedom we're given a new life we're given a new name we're now called a son or a daughter of god we're given a new home an eternal home in heaven we're given a new protection protection against the evil one against temptation against the forces of darkness we're given a new confidence because no matter what happens there's nothing that separates us from the love of god we're given a new peace because our soul is finally at rest the anxiety and the worry starts to dissipate because we know the one who loves us and is in control of everything we're given a new family I mean, in an instant, you go from being an orphan on this world to having a family in Christ with brothers and sisters and maybe smothering you at times, but we've got, we've got a family. We're not alone. We have a freedom that, oh, even though sometimes we still battle with sin and sometimes it's bombastic, but yet we're given a freedom to turn from sin and to yield to Christ and to see how he directs us and guides us. We're given a faith to trust God through any trial, any darkness, any tragedy. We're given a hope knowing that this world is not the end, that we have an eternity with God and he's at work even now in ways that we cannot perceive. And so this reality that's ours, this new creation that's ours, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that the old self, the old us is passed away. Verse 17, he says the old things are passed away. It's not just a, a lane swerve into a temporary new reality. It's not just a quick plunge that we get. This is not just new manners and habits. It's not even like an amnesia where we forget our past. He says that there was a past that we all had, but it's gone. God takes the filthy soul, the sin-drenched soul. He takes the wickedness that was ours, that vicious spin cycle of destruction that the world races through, that runs in our hearts, and it's gone. He literally removes that from us. I love how the Bible describes it in Psalm 103, verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's how far God separates us from the guilt of our sin. He separates us in a direction that can never be brought back together. Isaiah 43, verse 25 says, I'm the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. I will not remember your sins. Hebrews ten seventeen. I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. Oh, the promises that God makes that when we are a new creation, that he gives us a new life. And yes, there are the scars and the consequences of sin. But there's a freedom that's ours in Christ because we're not in bondage to it any longer. Now keep a finger there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but turn over for a second to Colossians chapter 2 because I want you to see this in a little more vivid detail. As Paul describes in Colossians chapter 2, what it took for Christ to take our sin and to erase it, to remove it, to pull it away from us. Colossians chapter 2, Paul gives us this incredible statement about what it took for God to separate us from our sin in that way, for the old self to pass away. Colossians 2, 13 says that when we were dead in our transgressions 
and the uncircumcision of our flesh. He says that's how our, our soul was. We were dead in our transgressions, meaning that we were completely unresponsive to God. The person who doesn't know Christ, the person who doesn't know Christ, that's all of us before we're saved, there's that time where you could read the Bible, see the Bible, hear the words of God, talk about God, but there's nothing in our heart that responded to that. We didn't care. It was cold. The Bible describes it as being dead. And the uncircumcision of our flesh meaning that, that that sinful nature was still attached to us. It hadn't been cut off, hadn't been removed. That's the way we were. But yet something happens in verse 13 of Colossians chapter 2. It says, he made you alive together with him. He made you alive. He took you from death to life. There's something so celebratory when we see a movie where we think the, the hero is dead, but then they're really alive and we all get excited about that. And in this account here, Paul tells us that it was our souls that were dead to God and Christ made them alive, breathed his breath into us, doing it in such a way, verse 13 ends by saying, having forgiven us all our transgressions. All of our transgressions. Every one of them. Now consider for a second how many that is. I love doing a little bit of math when it comes to this point. It says, having forgiven us all our transgressions. It is nine, about 1045. By this point of the day, how many sins have you committed? <laughs> Let's just say 100. Can we say that? Sins of thought, you woke up, you were angry at the alarm clock, and then it just started from there. And Let's just say 100, okay? For round numbers. Some, maybe that's low, that's high, I don't know. Times 365, and I'm 46, so times 46 years on this planet. That's 1.6 million individual acts of violation against God's holy law. 1.6 million. Now we multiply that times the number of the people in the room. We're in the billions with conservatively. And yet the Bible says that to be guilty of one sin is enough to spend eternity in hell. One violation of God's holy law. One step over the line of what God says is right and wrong. Just one is enough to condemn us to eternity apart from Christ. And in this room alone of people who claim to know Christ, we've got in the billions of sins. I mean, you feel the weight of that. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That the guilt alone in this room is enough to sink all of us. And yet Christ says he's, he's forgiven us all our transgressions. How does he do that? How does he do that? Look at verse 14. It says he's canceled out the certificate of debt. You say, what's that? If you have a credit card, you know what that is. You have a credit card? What do you get on a monthly basis? You get a certificate of debt. A statement that perfectly itemizes every charge you made, where you made it, when you made it, how much it was for, and when it's due. And you look at that certificate of debt, and some of you just crumple it up and throw it away and hope that it goes away. Others just avoid it, and some try to tackle it in bits and pieces, and some can settle it. 
But there's a certificate of debt that shows up. And Paul uses that phrase, and it's so key for us because that's the phrase that we have to understand is constantly being added to for all of humanity. A certificate of debt is out there with all the sins of everything that we've ever done being articulated right there. That certificate of debt shows up and it demands to be paid. It must be paid. There's no avoiding it. There's no way to get around it. It has to be paid. And so he demands that this certificate of debt comes due and with it, it demands that it be paid in full at the time of delivery. Verse 14 says that this consists of decrees against us. Each line bringing an accurate indictment. Each line bringing something that demands full payment. It's hostile to us, as verse 14 says. It's hostile. Meaning it must be requiring our eternal death. And yet at the end of verse 13, it says he for, has forgiven us all our transgressions. How has he done that? The end of verse 14, by taking it out of the way, having nailed it to a cross. You see, what, what God does is he takes that certificate of debt. He takes that statement that is ours, that thing that indicts us, and he nails it to the cross. It's personified there. It's Christ. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And we'll go back there in a second. But it says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God. That in that moment, God takes all of my sin, all that I am, all of my wickedness. And he puts it on Christ. And that's what's nailed to the cross. And only Christ came off the cross. My sin didn't. My sin's gone. It's paid for. That certificate of debt is settled. And when you look at it, oh, there's a perfectly itemized list, but in the debt column, it says paid, paid, paid because of what Christ has done. Oh, it's such a glorious reality, such an assuring reality that Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, that that certificate of debt that is hostile to me is paid because Christ died on the cross for our sins. And so when you have that word forgiven us all our transgressions, go back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When you look at that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, and he says that we're a new creation. And then verse 18, he reconciled us to God. It's talking about this forgiveness that's ours. But let me talk to you for just a minute about this promise of forgiveness because this is such a foreign world in our culture a word forgiveness is not used in the way that the bible uses it today christ has forgiven us our trespasses he's canceled out that certificate of debt to be forgiven is is to send something away literally it's the idea of releasing something to pardon something it involves two dynamics it's a pardon and a promise. The pardon is when God separates us from the penalty that we deserve. The penalty that should be mine goes to Jesus Christ. That's why Psalm 25 verse 11 says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity for it's great. Only God can pardon us. Take the guilt, take the, the weight, take the reality of my sin and separate it from me. 
And he gives us that pardon. But then there's a second part of this forgiveness, and that's the promise. And the promise really has three components to it. It's a promise that says, I will not bring this up when I remember your name. I'm not going to remember this sin when I remember your name. I'm not going to mention it to anyone else either. I'm not going to spread this out. And when I think of someone else, when I think of your name, I'm not going to bring this to their attention. And then third, I'm not going to allow my mind to dwell on it. That when I promise forgiveness to someone, I'm promising I'm not going to dwell on your sin. I'm not going to attach your name to that sin. And I'm not going to spread the word of that sin to other people. And when God gives us this promise of forgiveness, he does all of that. He pardons us from it. He separates us from the guilt that's ours and then promises to not recall that when, he, when we come to mind, not to bring it up down the road. He set it aside because he nailed it to the cross. And when Christ paid for that sin, he paid for it completely and for good. And all of that is ours because of what Christ has done. It was Christ who went to that cross. And if you look just ahead of, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 21 for a minute. I mentioned this verse earlier, but it says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. It was God that took all of our sin and puts it on Christ, on the perfect sinless son of God. And it was Christ who carried that sin to the cross where he was rejected, he was betrayed, he was abandoned, he was denied, He was condemned, he was spit on, falsely accused, falsely convicted, crucified, mocked, pierced, and forsaken by his father. All of that for sinners like you and me. I love Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, in that moment, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love that way. Oh, love is another word that we don't know so much about. It's not a word that is used in its right way throughout our world today. But when God says he demonstrates his love, it's an unconditional love. It's a love that looks at us and knows all the details of our life. Let's talk with a friend earlier this week and I was describing to him unconditional love and and I said, you know, if, if, if you were to know everything about me, I mean everything, all of the stuff I've done, all the thoughts, if you could read the whole biography, would you want to be in this room right now? And the guy was pretty honest. He said, yeah, I don't think so. There's a certain joy in not knowing certain things about other people, isn't there? That naivety is bliss line. We don't have that with God. God knows all of it. Every thought, every action, every intention, every motivation, all of it. And when we ask his forgiveness of our sin and he grants us forgiveness because of Christ and he says that he loves us, it's with all of that in view. That's what makes this so incredible is that God who created us, God who sent his son to die for us, God who gives us salvation, God who gives us his love, is not doing it naively. He does it fully knowing what it requires. 
Think of the contrast in how God, what it took for God to create us versus what it took for God to save us. For God to create us, he simply spoke us into existence, right? Genesis 1, that he wanted light, he created light. He wanted earth, he created earth. He wanted animals, he spoke them into existence. He wanted a man and a woman, he spoke it into existence, and there they were, just by the word of his power. But for Christ to save even one of us, for God to do that work, it took the death of Christ. It took the death of Christ to save even one of us. And the result of this, the result of this is that we now have the righteousness of Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 ends with. We have the righteousness of God in him. That when God looks at you and me, when God sees you, he's not looking at the, biogra- the biography of all of your sin. He's not looking at that certificate of debt. He's looking at someone who has been saved by grace. He's looking at someone whose life has been transformed. He's looking at someone who is covered by the righteousness of God and all of that beauty. He sees you as the new creation that you are. That's the reality check that we need. Oh, there's an uncontainable joy that goes with that. There's an unsuppressible joy that goes with that because we know we're forgiven. And the Bible describes the freedom of that forgiveness, the peace that that brings, the hope that that brings. There's a contentment there. Romans 8.1 is a great verse to mark down. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's, There's no future condemnation. There's no judgment that awaits us to bring up more sin against us and more accusations that it's settled, it's over because our heart and our soul belong to Christ. So all of that is packed into verse 17 as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 kicks off this little section talking about this new creation. And since we are a new creation paid for by Jesus Christ, certificate of debt being torn apart, nailed to the cross, we have a message then that comes through our lips and that gives us a new purpose. Look at verse 18 and 19 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses against them. And he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, I think you heard that five times in those two verses, the word reconcile is used. Five times Paul writes this word reconcile. You think, what does that word mean? It means to, to fix something that's broken, to take something that's disjointed and put it back together, something that, that's fallen apart, and to reassemble it. <clears throat> On a human level, it's a normal everyday life. We reconcile bank accounts, we reconcile inventory lists, we reconcile schedules. It's what we do with our kids. If you're a parent, a lot of your time early on is spent reconciling. You have two kids, they fight spontaneously over who knows what. And you got to reconcile and put that back together. And you say, hey, hug your sister or, or hug your brother and say you're sorry. And they may or may not do that willingly, but you try to reconcile them. We do it in our marriages. We ask forgiveness. We take responsibility. We make things right. When we've put something out of place, we correct the wrong. We do it with friendships when we discover that, that there's a fracture in relationships. And we work to be a peacemaker to bring people back together. And that's our, that's our goal. That's our world. We need more people who reconcile. But what about reconciling people with God? 
What about the role that we have as those who have been reconciled with God to bring that message to others and challenge them to be reconciled to God? Oh, we need this because it was lost. There was a perfect relationship at one point between God and man. And that's described in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 where God creates this garden. And in the garden is Adam and Eve. And they have a perfect relationship with God where they walk with God and they interact with him. They talk and they have this ongoing harmony and unity. And then sin enters in. And the door between God and man is slammed shut. And there's a separation there. Creation was cursed. We were cursed. All creation groans for the day when that curse will be reversed, as Romans tells us. But God changed everything. He reconciled us. God fixed what was broken there. And then he sends us out to go out into an unbelieving world and to reconcile people to God. To bring to them the same thing that was brought to us. This is what Christ did when he sent his disciples out. He said in John chapter 20, verse 21, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. John 17 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them. That's what Christ did with his disciples. He, he gathered them together. He taught them. He exhorted them. He challenged them. And then he said, all right, you all need, now need to go. You need to go out to this world and find people who are hopeless, find people who are struggling, find people who are under the weight of not only their own sin, but the discouragement of life, the hardships that are out there, and engage in this ministry of reconciliation. You know what that means? That means talking to people who don't want to talk to you. That means finding the people who you know are not right with God and in a loving, compassionate, humble way approaching them and saying, you need to be reconciled to God. You need to yield your life to Christ. The thing that's broken in your world can't be fixed by any plan you can come up with. Your best plan got you in this situation. You need to be reconciled to God. That's what he says. Look back at verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5. He says, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave that to us. He hands us that responsibility to go out and find the hurting, find the bruised, find the exhausted, find the forsaken, find those who are buckling under the weight of guilt and give them the reason for the hope that's in us. Don't let them just see it, but explain to them how we got this hope, how we know we're forgiven, how we're reconciled to God. Don't just hear their pain and, and shed a tear with them, but look them back in the eye and say, I found the source of forgiveness. I know how we can be made right. I know how we can find hope. Oh, what an incredible purpose we have now for living. What an incredible joy we have to be able to go out and share that message with others. God says, I rescued you, now go rescue others. Listen, if you're a doctor and you know something's wrong with a patient and you don't deliver the news to them, that's malpractice, that's criminal. As believers, as those who love Jesus Christ, as those who've been forgiven, for us not to do this is sin. 
We don't have the option to remain silent. We have a word of reconciliation. Verse 19 says, we have a word of reconciliation. We have this message that God has not counted our trespasses against us. He has not kept that certificate of debt as we saw in Colossians chapter 2. He's not kept that stored away or framed on the wall for, to bring up, bring up at some future point. He has taken that certificate of debt, nailed to the cross, it's gone. And he turns around and says, now go tell others. Take that message to others. Well, look at this position then, verse 20. This is the key verse I want you to have in mind today. Because of all that reality, verse 20 says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Ambassadors, I love that word. I don't have an aspiration to be an ambassador to a foreign country because we already are ambassadors to this world. It's an incredible role. You as an ambassador stand on behalf of someone else delivering a message that you were given. You have a tough job because you have no personal authority. An ambassador doesn't represent uh, their own personal ideas. They have to deliver a message handed to them by someone else. They have to learn another culture, another vocabulary, in some places a whole other language, new customs. All the society is new to them. And they have to live in that context, delivering the message constantly that they are handed with the content and the tone with which it was intended. That's what makes a great ambassador. If you look at the UN and all of the American ambassadors around the world, those that excel are the ones that have the right understanding of the culture, they have the clarity of the message, and they can deliver it in the right tone. And God looks at us and says, you are my ambassadors. You are my ambassadors and I send you out into this world to go into every single place and give the message that you were handed. But there's some strength to this that Paul says. He says, we're ambassadors for Christ as though, we're, as though God were entreating through us. I beg you on behalf of God, behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He says, I beg you, I implore you. There's a pleading there. There's a, a, a desperation about this message that we're to give out. It's a confrontation. It's a challenge. Oh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. It will scar us to go into some conversations. But Paul says a faithful ambassador is one who goes out with the urgency, the velocity, the energy to know that you have one message to give and it will be devastating to some it'll bring hope to some but it must be delivered i love what one pastor described this urgency it says he said oh my brothers and sisters in christ if sinners will be damned at least let them leap to hell over our bodies and if they'll perish let them perish with their arms about their knees imploring them to stay and not madly to destroy themselves if hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our, with, filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. And that preacher's point was to say, if people are going to step into eternity, they got to get past us first. We have to be the ones who faithfully stand in the pathway of people and confront them and call them to repentance and call them to be reconciled to God. Give them this message. Give them this exhortation. Give them this opportunity to be reconciled to God. Oh, and the whole gospel message is verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
in light of that, in light of that challenge that Paul gives us, it's important for all of us to stop and to consider our own heart. Are you an ambassador for Christ? Are you one of his children? Maybe today you question your own heart of whether you truly know God. Are you reconciled to God? Are, are you someone who's familiar with him but doesn't actually know him? Do you know about God but you don't actually have a relationship with him? I beg you today, turn to Jesus. Surrender your life to him. Stop this endless spin cycle of craziness trying to find hope and peace and comfort and relief and contentment in the things of the world, knowing it'll never be there. Oh, sin is sweet for us a, a moment, like a candy you play with in your mouth. It's there for just a moment, and, and you think it's going to give you peace and contentment and a little bit of joy, but it never does. It never lasts. It only leaves you with more guilt, more grief, more loneliness afterwards. Turn your life to Christ. Surrender your life to him. Ask his forgiveness of sin. Be reconciled to God, knowing that there is no other pathway and there's no other time. It's today. Tomorrow's not promised. Turn from the pathway of sin and simply ask God to forgive you. Ask Christ to take your sin and take it away and in its place give you his righteousness. You surrender your life to Christ, believing that he died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the grave. And because he's alive today, that the power of sin is broken, that our eternity is not in question. We have a reality with him forever. To those who are believers, I want to challenge you to be ambassadors, to be faithful ambassadors. The question is not, are you an ambassador? The question is, how faithful are you? Remember Christ said in Matthew chapter 5 to be salt and light? To go out into this world and bring to it the salt that resists decay, that resists corruption. And bring light that gives hope. The, mess, the question is only how faithful are we? Does the world hear the message of Christ in our words? Does the world see the message of Christ in our actions? Does the world know of our faith by the way we love others? Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But verse 14 says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Without someone to deliver that message? Verse 15 of Romans 10 says, how, how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. These are, the, these are the responsibilities we have as ambassadors of Christ, as those who have been transformed, changed, certificate of debt has been paid. We have a new reality, a new life, a new name, a new future, and we have one message to give. My prayer for this church and for our church and for every believer in this community that we would be found faithful as ambassadors for Christ, going after those who need to be reconciled calling them to repentance and watching as God transforms lives. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this incredible role that you've given to us. It's not simply just a new job and something that's added to other responsibilities, Lord. It's, it comes because you've changed our hearts. You've transformed our hearts. You've forgiven us of our sin. You set us free from the guilt, the weight Oh, Lord, our sin that 
demands punishment is gone because of you. Help us to rest in the freedom of that forgiveness. For those here who who do know you, Lord, but yet maybe there's just a, a long pattern of sin that they've not confessed. I pray today would be the day they'd find some freedom from that sin. That through your spirit's power, they would know that when you forgive us, that you're not bringing that sin back up. You're not remembering it when you remember us. You're not spreading it to others, but that you separate us from the guilt of it. And in its place, you give us your grace. So Lord, help us to rest in this incredible love that's ours, this unconditional love. And may we be found.